Over the past few months, we've been studying Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And in Ephesians 1, 1, all the way through 3, 13, which we have studied thus far, Paul gives the basic truths about the Christian life, who we are in Christ, and the great unlimited resources we have in him. But from 3.14 through the rest of the letter, Paul begins to move in another direction. And this passage that we'll look at this morning, in many ways, is a transition for Paul. It's a prayer that he is praying on behalf of the Ephesian church. And ultimately, because it is Scripture, God's Word that is alive and active Today, it is Paul praying for us. It is God speaking to us. In this, these first three chapters we've studied are all about what it means to be in Christ. And as we head next week into chapter 4 and the rest of Ephesians, we'll begin to discover what it means to live For Christ. So this morning, let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, and read along with me. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, I pray that your word this morning is alive to every one of us here. And Lord, I pray that the claim your word makes upon our lives would also be real to us. And that you, by your spirit, would bring illumination. You would bring by your spirit refreshment. That you by your spirit would bring fresh conviction that we might become more like Christ. And Lord, I pray for myself. Lord, you know my weaknesses. You know my limitations. You know my inadequacies. Help me, Father, as I attempt to preach your word to these dear folks. Lord, my confidence is not in my abilities, but in the anointed, 
truth that I have just read. Now make it true to these people, I pray. In Jesus' name. Paul begins in verse 14, for this reason. And what he's doing is he's referring back to chapter 2 and all that God has done for us in Christ, specifically verse 4, I believe, of chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For this reason, Paul is saying, your new identity in Christ, this, this new thing called the church where Jew and Gentile have been united together. For this reason, you who were once dead and are now alive. For this reason, you who were enemies of God, but are now children of God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, Paul actually began this prayer at the beginning of chapter 3. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, and then he, he diverges off into a whole other realm of all that God has done to us and who we are in Christ. But finally, he, he finishes this prayer. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees. Paul prays with the greatest of confidence because he knows he is praying to his heavenly Father. Paul prays with confidence because he knows that those he is praying about, the Ephesians and ultimately us, He's confident he can pray because he knows that they know Christ. You see, Paul is after two things in this letter, in this passage, in this section that we're reading. He wants the church, he wants the Ephesians, he wants you and I to understand two things. He wants us to understand the limitless power of God given to us. And he wants us to understand the limitless love of, that God has for us. God's power and God's love. This is Paul's second prayer. His first prayer for us was one we read in chapter 1, that we might know God's power. And now Paul, in this passage, prays, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Paul is not praying that we would know the power of God. He is praying that we would be filled with the power of God. Two petitions that I mentioned, that we would know God's limitless power and that we would know how God loves us with no reservation. His unfathomable love. Now there's an outline, I think, for this, this prayer. A number of biblical scholars talk about this as a prayer staircase, this prayer of Paul. A, a prayer staircase, not a staircase in 
similarity to one that you might have in your home. That just doesn't capture the heights to which Paul is climbing in this prayer. When I was, when I go to India, there is a mountain. In fact, the, the ministry where Yesu Padam, who leads Love and Care Ministries, a friend of mine from India for many, many years and who will be with us July 27th. Uh, Yesu Padam lives in a colony surrounded by mountains. And there's this one mountain that leads very high up to an area of prayer for Hindus. And there's physical idols, gods to the Hindus on top of that mountain. Idols that literally go upwards to a hundred feet tall, that thousands upon thousands of Hindus trek towards. But interestingly enough, the way they get there, many of them, is at the bottom of that mountain. And we're talking probably two, three thousand feet up, is a staircase. And every time I drive to Love and Care Ministries, I pass by that staircase. And I'm just amazed as I see people climbing it, thinking, I, I would never get to the top. I need a stool to sit on during messages. And these people are climbing to the top to find their gods. And Paul is building a staircase of prayer for us, one that exceeds even a mountain staircase. A staircase that leads us to the very confines of heaven. To the very throne room of God, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. That we can enter into God's presence and go before the very throne. Our goal is to follow Paul up this lofty staircase this morning. Beginning in verse 16 through verse 19, where we reach the pinnacle of that staircase. And as we look at this passage, as we look at the key phrases and its content, let's keep in mind one thing. It is God this morning that I believe is actually teaching us how to pray. Not only are we being prayed for by Paul, but I believe God is teaching us how we're to pray. There is, there's a wonderful book. I would encourage you to read it. It is by Don Carson, D.A. Carson. It's called A Spiritual Reformation of Prayer. And simply what, what Carson does is he wisely teaches us how to pray using God's Word. And he goes through the prayers of Scripture teaching us how to pray Scripture. Just as Paul prays for the Ephesians, I believe we should pray for ourselves and for one another that we might know the power and love of Christ and we might live for the glory of Christ. Just as Paul prays for the Ephesians, we should pray for ourselves and for one another. As Paul does here, that we might know the power and love of Christ so that we can live for the glory of Christ. 
So let's look at these steps. Let's just take one step at a time in this staircase. And the first step is to pray for power to strengthen us in our inner man. Look at verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We should have the utmost confidence when we pray. I know at times there, there are times when I do, I, I pray wondering if, if God is really hearing, is, is it the right kind of prayer? Have I, have I been selfish in my prayer? Have I said the wrong thing? Have I not quite said it the right way? But Paul just dispels that. I think he smashes it when he says that we pray according to the riches of his glory. Out of the unsearchable riches, God has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. That's what Paul is falling back on here. That we have been given all things, as Peter writes, pertaining to life and godliness, according to the riches of his glory. God will give us all we need, which begins with his power. God is so, he's so generous towards us. Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with Christ, graciously give us all things? Look at all the riches that God has given us that we might pray. We are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Chapter 1, verse 4. In love, he predestined us to be his children. Chapter, chapter 1, verse 6. We have redemption through his blood out of our debt has been paid. Chapter, chapter 1, verse 7. We, are, we have forgiveness of our sins. We've been given the Holy Spirit. He has risen from the dead. Eternal life is ours. We've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Paul begins this letter with, out of his riches, according to the riches of his glory, given that all these riches are ours in Christ, Paul says we can ask for something in prayer. He asks for something that we might be granted strength with power through the Spirit in our inner being. Paul is wanting us to be strengthened. Mike Bullmore says it this way, that we might be strengthened with power in our inner being, which is exactly where we most need it. It is in our inner being that we most need strength. We most need power. To a person, we are decaying outwardly. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. We are decaying outwardly. It was 1996. And the guy that was leading worship for us in Atlanta, where I was the senior pastor, 
he, um, he had a good relationship with a very well-known Christian singer named Steve Green. And so they set up a concert and they had all the, the, the young kids in our church singing in a chorus in background behind Steve Green, which was quite a heady thing. And my daughter was one of the, the children singing. And I remember we had a front row seat and somebody was videoing this, this wonderful night so we could look back on it. And, and so it was a great evening. And Steve Green did a, an amazing job and just honored the Lord. And afterwards, a couple of days later, we're, we're looking at the video. And it's, it's, you know, at the back of the room and, and I'm looking down there and I'm trying to find Jenny. That's the first thing, you know, I want to see Jenny in the chorus, you know, behind Steve Green. But, but something keeps striking me and it's this like, this flash. It's like, what is that flash? Well, it's the first time I had ever seen myself from behind. And there was something missing on the top of my head. And it was hair. And I was appalled. In all the years, Marilyn had never told me that I was going bald. I had nice hair here. And when I look in the mirror, fine. No problems. And then there's this video, which I would never let the children watch again. And it dawned on me, 41 years old, I'm decaying. I'm going bald. And as I get older, I become more aware of my body weakening. It's no surprise. There is still strength. I can still do things. I eat well because of this Vitamix that Marilyn now owns. (laughs) If you've ever had a kale smoothie, I can tell you it tastes as bad as it sounds. <laughs> but even more important to me than my physical body is my awareness of how much I need my inner being strengthened. That's what's important to me, not because I'm a pastor. Although that certainly challenges me a bit more, but simply because I'm a Christian living in a world that presses upon me every day. I'm living in a world that shows the reality that I'm still a sinner in need of a Savior. And I am desperately in need of God's power to live honorably for Him. I need God's power to be strengthening my inner being. We need to pray for God's power daily that we would be transformed in our inner being so that we can live rightly for Christ. That is what we are called to do. To be holy as I am holy. The Lord says... And when we pray this prayer, I believe God answers us. It's, he is eager to give us power in our inner being according to his riches, which are unfathomable, uh, unending. His, the riches of his glory, his riches. 
How rich is God? And it is out of those riches where there is no lack, where there is no poor supply. It is out of those riches that he grants us strength with power through his spirit to our inner being that we might be strong. That's the first step. And how does he do it? He does it through his spirit. He does it through the Holy Spirit. God dwelling in us. Our counselor, our comforter, our teacher, the one who convicts us. Don Don Carson says, our ultimate hope is for a resurrection body. But until we receive that gift, it is our inner being that is being strengthened by God's power. In a culture where so many people are desperate for good health, but demonstrably hungry for transformation of the inner being, Christians are in urgent need of following Paul's example and praying for displays of God's power in the inner being. God's Spirit dwells in you. And it is through God's Spirit that we will be strengthened in our inner being simply by asking. That's step one. Step two, Paul writes, so that, there's a connection here, so that, I I want you to be empowered, I want you to experience my power in your inner being, my power which is given to you without limit, according to my riches, I want you to have my power so that Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You need this power. You need this power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now that seems strange. What do you mean to have Christ, so that Christ will dwell in my heart through faith? I'm a Christian. Christ is already dwelling in my heart through faith. Is that not true? Yeah, so why would Paul say this? Why, why is he writing this? He's already, I mean, he's writing to believers who, who know Christ. Well, there are two Greek words in Scripture that are used to describe this word dwell, meaning dwelling in a residence. And the first one is to dwell as a stranger, as though, like a hotel. You go to a residence inn, and you're there for a week because of your job, but you're dwelling there as a stranger. That's, that's the first Greek word. But the one being used here is the second. Katakio is the Greek word. To dwell in a place of permanence. To dwell in a place of settling. A permanent residence. Paul is using this Greek word to dwell because Jesus has taken up permanent residence within us. That's the idea that Paul is conveying here. 
but he's done more than just move in. He has taken up residence fully. I love uh, uh, HGTV. Marilyn and I like to watch HGTV because I love construction stuff. And so I like watching things torn down and rebuilt or torn up. And one of the the favorite shows that we watch is called Property Brothers. And I see people shaking their head. Yeah, Property Brothers. Can't wait for them to come to my house. And so they, what they do is they buy basically a decrepit house. And they go in. And, and it's interesting because when they bring, and I'm sure some of this is staged, but they bring in the young couple. And the young couple are walking around the house. And they're going, Yuck. And they're just, they hate everything they see. And they, they just say, no, the, it's just, the, there's too many walls here. And look at all these old appliances. And we can't buy this house. And I mean, the property brothers are standing there saying, we're going to remodel it for you. You know, kind of get a vision. And so eventually they do. They, they show them this, this computer-aided design and, and people's eyes get big. And, and then they go through the restoration process. And for most, it really is a rather trying experience. It's, it's a challenge. Ripping up rooms and rebuilding. And I've, I've restored, I've done restoration or remodeling in two homes on my own. And I understand. And, and, and that is what is happening here. Don Carson puts it this way. He says, make no mistake. When Christ first moves into our lives, he finds us in very bad repair. It takes a great deal of power to change us, and that is why Paul prays for power. I remember when I first became a Christian, there was a guy from New Zealand. His name was Winky Prattney. Some of you old people will know the name. Yeah, see, some of you young people have no idea why would somebody be named Winky. (laughs) But he was a wonderful Christian speaker, and he wrote a book on discipleship for new believers. And I remember the way he, he framed it was, is that God has come to dwell within us. You are the new home. You're, you're the place where Jesus has come to dwell. And you know what he's going to do? He's getting into your home room by room. And he's ripping up carpet, and he's tearing down wallpaper, and he's ripping out bathrooms, and he's remodeling you from the inside out. And that's what Paul is after here. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That in this dwelling, Jesus has taken up permanent residence. And that he is transforming you through the power that he has given you by his spirit. It is why you pray for power. It is why you pray for power, that your inner being, having Christ resident within your inner being, is transformed room by room. It's called progressive sanctification. That's what it's called. It's what God is after, that Day by day, you are being sanctified. It's why we pray for power, that we can live for Christ and his glory. And that doesn't happen without being transformed within your inner being. And you don't get transformed in your inner being by self-effort. 
You need the limitless power of God given to you by His Spirit. It doesn't come, it doesn't come at Costco. Where's the power aisle? I'll take two. No. Why do we need God's power? It's also, we need God's power. Not only to see our inner being transformed, but he wants to take up residence in our heart through faith because he also wants us to be able to do something else. And look at the next verse. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. God wants us to pray for power so that we can know without a doubt His love for us. This isn't about us loving God. It's about us understanding God's love for us. Why do we need power to understand His love? You would assume just you're a Christian, you, you've understood the cross. Sure, yeah, of course you understand God lo- God's love. Well, I, I think it's because there's a battle that we fight every day within our own souls. Every day. Lies, accusations, condemnations, assaults from our own doubts, our own sin within, and from the enemy that we have without. Those things create a cloud over us and in front of our understanding of how much God loves us. There's a reason Paul prays that they would understand the unlimited love of God towards them. It's because he knows they can struggle. And that's step three. Step one is that we would have his power in our inner being. And step two is that we would, by faith, have Christ dwelling in our hearts. And step three is comprehending Christ's love. This petition, I think, is remarkable for although Paul has said so much in chapters 1 through 3 about all that God has done for us, that he's called us before the foundation of the world to be his children, that he's transformed us, that by grace we have been saved through faith, this not of ourselves, that even when we were dead in sin, you you would think we would understand that we would comprehend the love of God, but, but Paul is saying you don't. And I would venture to say, I would submit to you that every person in this room struggles at times with understanding the love of God. And when you struggle maybe with a pattern of sin, you just think, God... God, this is, God's just distancing himself from me. God is, God is not with me. God is, maybe God would forsake me. I'd forsake me. And Paul wants us to understand how broad and how wide and how deep and how high is God's love for you. And he wants us to pray that we would have strength 
I think that's interesting. Pray that we would have strength to comprehend the love of Christ. Because this is how we should pray. Having been rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, God, please help me to understand and know how much you love me. Help me to understand a love that actually, Paul says, surpasses knowledge. Paul wants you to have a comprehension of this limitless love of God for you that surpasses knowledge. Now that's a paradox. I want you to understand what you cannot understand. I want you to know what you cannot know. I want you to have a knowledge about something that surpasses your ability to know. But what Paul is after is an understanding of growing in our understanding of our comprehension, in our knowledge of how much God loves you. Understanding how much power God has given you to live for him and how much God loves you. How limitless his love is for you. We cannot exhaust the love of Christ by our knowledge. No more than we can fully know all about the knowledge of God. It's just beyond human ability. The finite cannot understand the infinite. But although we cannot fully know this love at this time, and I'm not sure we'll be able to comprehend it all in heaven, God wants us to taste it now. We can grow every day in our awareness of Christ's love for us through our trials and our sufferings, our daily struggles. So often, God loves us in ways that we just don't quite catch. 1991, when my youngest was born, a week after Marilyn came home from the hospital with Carrie, I got a letter in the mail from my insurance company telling me that they had gone bankrupt and that every doctor fee and hospital fee that was out there because of the birth was ours and not theirs. And I remember spending almost two years making payments working with the hospital, and eventually the, the, the Georgia Insurance Commission came along and bailed out this company and eventually bailed us out. And I was so excited. We are finally out of debt. What a glorious, glorious day that was. It was, it was a Thursday. And on Friday, our car dies, basically and we have to go buy a new car. And so Saturday afternoon, we borrowed money from Marilyn's dad. We go buy a used minivan, and it was Saturday night. I'm laying in bed, lamenting. And I'm very good at lamenting. I learned, I learned, there's a whole book on lamenting. And <laughs> I'm laying in bed lamenting, and I'm just telling Marilyn, we just had gotten out of debt, and you know all I wanted? I just wanted a gas grill. That's all I wanted. I just, just want to cook outside. I want a gas grill. And Marilyn's kind of, you know, patting me on the head. Yeah, 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 go to sleep. The next day at church, we'll go to church. 
And we come home, I have an evening meeting back at the building, I drive to the building and we have our meeting and we're, it's about 8.30, we're walking out of the building and one of the guys I'm with saying, hey Larry, come with me, come over to my car. Okay, so we went over to Mike's car and Mike said, look, uh, Marsha and I were out shopping uh, late yesterday afternoon and we bought ourselves a new gas grill and we brought it home and as we took it out of the box, we just felt God say, give this to Larry and Marilyn. So here it is in the box. Now, that's never happened to me since. <laughs> and I lament over golf clubs. <laughs> but I can tell you, Marilyn and I were more aware of the love of God who said, look, it's not about what you want. It's about how much I love you. I want you to know I want you to know that even the smallest thing that you lay in bed and cry over, I hear. And I want you to know my love. A gas grill, that's nothing to me. According to my riches, says the Lord. Paul wants us to comprehend this love that surpasses our ability to do so. Don Carson says this, he says, apart from the power of God, Christians will have too little appreciation for the love of Christ. They need the power of God to appreciate the limitless dimensions of that love. So here's the deal. We need God's limitless power. And we need it so that we can understand his limitless love for us. Those dimensions of his love are ultimately displayed for us in the gospel. Yeah, I see it in a gas grill. But there isn't a day that goes by that I can't find a clear understanding of God's limitless love through the gospel. That hideous moment on a cross when Christ is crucified for my sins. Prayer, praying, these words in Scripture, it's the very place where we will find both God's power and God's love. And step four, which is really the highest step of all, Paul writes this in verse 19, Second part, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I, I tried to come up with an illustration to figure out how do I describe being filled with all the fullness of an infinite God into a finite being. And the only thing that came to mind was water balloons. Filling up water balloons and watching them explode until you let too much water in. That's what it'd be like. How do you comprehend being filled with all the fullness of God? But that's what Paul prays here. And he prays it. And it's not a weird prayer and it's not an inaccurate prayer. Paul knows that we can be filled with God as we pray. James Boyce says, I think Paul is praying that we will be filled and filled and filled 
and filled and filled and so on forever as God out of his infinite resources increasingly pours himself out into those sinful but now redeemed creatures he has rescued through the work of Christ. And all this to what end? Well, I believe this. To full spiritual maturity. To be like Christ. To be transformed into the image of Christ. To be what we say is really the theme of Grace Church, that we are growing as disciples. We are growing in Christ. Now, what a bold request for Paul. That God would fill us with all the fullness of God. But it is not too much for God to do. Because he does it according to his riches. Is it impossible to ask for too much? No. In fact, I I would contend we do not pray large enough prayers. We need to pray larger prayers. We need to ask God for things that we would assume are selfish or wrong, and and maybe they are. You do have to look at your own heart, but, but I think we can ask for God, ask God for so much more. So much more. And this is how I know this. Look at, look at Paul ends with in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. What did Paul just ask for? Unlimited power. Unlimited comprehension of the love of God. And Paul saying now to him who is able to do far more. Abundantly than all. All that we ask or think according to what? The power at work within us. The very power he just prayed for. Paul draws his prayer to a close with praise. And this really is one of Paul's most glorious doxologies. Remember, Ephesians 1 begins with the doxology, a doxology, a, a section of praise of Paul's love for God and Paul's just overwhelming understanding of who God is. And Paul ends this section this way. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Our prayers can be larger. They can be bigger than we imagine. Our prayer for power to understand God's love is for this purpose. To him be the glory in the church forever and ever. Throughout all generations. So how do we apply this? What, what do we do with this? Because Paul prays that we would have unlimited power. Paul prays that we would have, that would comprehend God's unlimited love for us. He does it that we could ask and trust that he will give us more than an abundance, more than we could ask or think. What what do we do? Simply this. Let's pray. Let's pray large prayers. Let's pray pray large prayers for ourselves. Let's pray large prayers for one another, for Grace Church. Let's pray large prayers to see 
Those who don't know Christ, come to Christ through the men and women of Grace Church. Let's pray large prayers for each other where those who struggle with patterns of sin or those who are suffering with illnesses or those who are just struggling, overcome. Let's pray large prayers that Christ would be glorified in our midst. Let's pray these prayers. And, and the best way to do it, let's, let's pray Paul's prayers. We're praying God's word. Let's Let's pray these prayers. Let's meditate on these prayers. Let's memorize these prayers. Let us. Let us be men and women of prayer. One of the ways I want to begin for us to be men and women of prayer is that starting next week at 9.30 on Sunday mornings, I'm going to be in a room back there for 15 minutes from 9.30 to 9.45 praying for our Sunday meeting and praying for Grace Church. And anybody who wants to join me, you are welcome to join me. Let's be a church that talks to God. 